Y'all been enjoying this weather? Yeah, no doubt. It's summertime, all right? And I love summertime. Favorite, favorite season of the year, especially if you live in Michigan, because that means you survived a winter, right? And then you get to summer, and like summer is like amazing. In fact, I don't think that there's literally a better place on the planet to live than West Michigan in the summertime. There's something about June when, uh, <laughs> yeah, some of y'all got happy. I'm like, all right, I get it. Winter's hard. <laughs> we celebrate when we can. And uh, we're coming up, I think, uh, tomorrow or the next day is the longest day of the year. That's another reason why I love West Michigan summers, because we're like so far on the like west side of the eastern time zone that like it's light till 1030 in the summertime. Like it makes for amazing summer days. Uh, one of the things, though, that I have found for me personally, though, is during the summertime, uh, as much as I love it, I also kind of find myself in like an internal tug of war. Um, during the school year, I, I, I'm, I'm great with rhythms. My time with God, devotions, just like getting into kind of some normal good habits. And then summertime comes, and because we've had such a hard winter, we like to celebrate and party. And like all of my kind of normal rhythms tend to go out the window a little bit. And I got to pay attention. I got to pay attention to like, my own heart, my own like soul, what, what's actually happening. And so I've got a word for us today that I think God desires. It's not a specifically Father's Day message at all, but dads, I just simply want to ask you to give God permission to speak to you this morning. It's something that I think uh, God has put on my heart because he knows that I need to pay attention to it, and I think you may as well. Uh, we've been in a series that we started a couple weeks ago in 1 Peter, and uh, we're actually going to take this entire summer and really just focus in on the first letter that uh, Peter wrote. And I want to talk about just a very small snippet of that letter that initially I didn't even think we were going to have a chance to really address. But because we've retooled and reworked the series a little bit to really focus on just 1 Peter this summer, uh, it's given me the opportunity to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Um, Peter writes this. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him. Uh, in the summertime, I, I, can, I can find myself getting a little distracted where I... I might miss out on the evil one who's crouching, trying to take me out. Uh, a lot of you guys know I grew up in Flint, Michigan, in the 80s. Flint was a murder capital of the world. Uh, two out of three years when I was in middle school, uh, it was rated by Money Magazine as the worst place in America to live. Uh, I, I, I knew, like, Growing up in Flint, like, I needed to be tough. I needed to be hard. Uh, first first week, I might have shared this with you, but I'm walking down Longfellow Middle School, Flint, Michigan. I got my Trapper Keeper under my arm. Y'all remember Trapper Keepers? Yes, I wanted the Lamborghini Trapper Keeper. That was the dope Trapper Keeper. I did not have that. They did not have that at Walmart. Apparently, my mom got me the horses Trapper Keeper. <laughs> not nearly as cool, okay? 
And I'm walking down the hall with my trapper keeper under my arm, and I see these two dudes look like they're probably like 20 years old. All right? I, I don't think they were in eighth grade for like the fifth time or something. And they're walking down the hall, and I'm trying not to make eye contact with them. And next thing I know, I look up, and they're standing right in front of me, big, huge dudes. One of them literally grabbed me by my shoulders, no joke, picked me up, stuck me against a locker. I'm literally standing there or like dangling feet with my trapper keeper under my arm still. They laughed, set me down, and walked off. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's it. After I cleaned the puddle up uh, on the floor, uh, I was like, I, I got to do something. So I was like, I'm going to go off for football. Like that's what, you know, cool kids, they go off for football. Well, here's the problem with football when you're in seventh grade, especially when you're my size, okay? Uh, thankfully, they had three different weight classes, all right? You had the unlimited weight class, which is 150 pounds and over. Then you had the middleweights, which was 125 to 150 pounds. And then they had what was called the juniors, all right? That was anybody that was 125 and under. I was barely rocking triple digits, like soaking wet at the time. And they let the unlimited go through the locker room first to get all their pads and helmets. And then the middleweights went through next. And then the juniors got the stuff that was left over, okay? Now, nothing fit me well. Shoulder pads falling off a shoulder, nothing seemed. But the worst part was the helmets. They didn't have helmets that would fit my little bean-sized head. And so I put that helmet on, and even when I had that thing strapped up, every time that I ran, you know the two, like, bars that come across, supposed to protect your face? These bars would just be like, brum, 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 right in front of my eyes, so it kind of, like, blurred my vision. I couldn't see really well with my helmet on. Now, I can still remember, though, uh, first week of practice, and coaches are having us practice the kickoff, okay? Um, I was not big, but I was pretty fast back then. And so they had lined me up on the kickoff team. My buddy uh, was the kicker. And for a seventh grade kid, he had a pretty good leg on him. And so he could kick the ball, and he could actually get some serious air into the ball. And I remember it's their, our first week, and they got me lined up. And uh, coach blows the whistle. And that means we're supposed to start running, and you're supposed to time the run perfectly so that you don't cross the line of scrimmage before he kicks the ball. Well, coach blows the whistle, and I take off and I'm flying, and my buddy runs up, and he kicks right as I'm crossing the line. I'm at a full sprint. I can't see a, a whole lot, but I can tell that the ball, my buddy had kicked it high. It didn't go very far, but it did go really high, and so it's coming down, and I see the guy that's going to catch it, and he's right in front of me, and I'm thinking the whole time, this is my moment. This is my moment. I'm booking. And I see the kid, and he's about to catch it. He catches the ball, and I'm on a dead sprint. And I'm talking, I'm probably like 15 feet away from him. And all in my head, I'm like, I'm about to stack this kid. I'm about to just wrinkle him. His mom's going to feel what I'm about to do to him. All right? So I'm running, and he catches, and he looks up, and he sees me. Our eyes make contact, at least I think so. A little hard to see, but, uh, and, and he freezes. Like he freezes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is my moment. And just as I'm about to dive and just put the hurt on this little kid, I realize why he hasn't moved. It's because he had a blocker that was crouched right in front of him that I had not noticed yet. And so just as I'm about to jump and hit him, the blocker hits me right at my knees. And all I see is two bars on my helmet and the world go, Woo! 
I did a full flip, no joke, landed back on my two feet, fell on my butt, and he ran past me and I didn't touch him. And the coaches gave me the nickname Flip, which is not the nickname that you want when you're playing football. There was a blocker who was crouched, who desired to have me, to take me out, and he did. Peter said that we have to be sober-minded, pay attention, that there is a, an adversary, the devil, the evil one, who is out to get us, to take us out. He's going around like a roaring lion. Peter actually takes that language, that metaphor, from one of the first stories in the Bible back in Genesis chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to flip open to that story. Genesis chapter 4, it's the story of Adam and Eve's children. Read with me verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Starting off spicy. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, and anytime you see L-O-R-D, Lord, in the Old Testament, and it's in all caps, that's actually God's proper name, Yahweh. So it says, uh, she said, with the help of Yahweh, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So it kind of tells us a little bit about Adam and Eve's first two kids. Two boys, Cain and Abel. If you grew up uh, going to church at all, you've heard this story before. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, you've probably heard the two names Cain and Abel. Uh, they have two different jobs. That's what the text tells us. Cain is a farmer. He's a gardener. Uh, Abel is a herdsman, a shepherd. Uh, these are both valid, good, important jobs. And in, in fact, if we were to jump back a couple chapters to Genesis 2, we would learn that God basically, after he created Adam and Eve, said, hey, I have made this world. It's amazing and beautiful and, and just so many wonderful things that I have planted in this earth that I want you to uncover and together we're going to take the world someplace. We're going to create culture together, create civilization together. And so being a gardener would have been one very good way to express what uh, theologians call the cultural mandate, what God had invited humanity to do along with him. Also being a, a, a herdsman or a shepherd was another wonderful way. They both have important jobs to do and they're doing them, they're just different. One is not better than the other. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 and 4, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to Yahweh. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. Yahweh looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, I grew up in the era of of Sunday school in church where we had something called flannel graph, all right? That was like uh, this piece of flannel and then all these little like figures that you could like stick and they would like stick on the flannel. And I remember this story. 
And so for years, I, I assumed I knew why God didn't accept Cain's offering. I was like, well, he's not accepting Cain's offering because Cain had brought the wrong offering. Cain brought some, like, grain or, like, a bushel of apples or something. And, and God's like, no, Cain, you need to bring something better. I always thought it was like, dude, if you would have just, like, traded with your brother, got yourself a lamb, then sacrificed that and gave it to God as an offering, God would have been pleased with you. Here's the problem, though. That's completely wrong. <laughs> I actually, when I was studying this, I realized throughout the Old Testament, God actually uh, calls for offerings of grain and the first fruits from the land. It was all good stuff. Didn't matter that it was an animal that Abel brought or the fact that it was grain that Cain had brought. That wasn't the issue. The issue was the heart attitude with which Cain brought his offering. Now, here's what's crazy. The author, the biblical author here, doesn't tell us what the heart attitude was. We just know that there was some sort of an attitude that he brought that was not, that made it so that God couldn't accept his offering. Uh, we can speculate, especially as we keep reading the story, that maybe Cain had uh, jealousy or envy or hatred we're not 100% sure what it is. The author doesn't care to tell us. All we know is that he had some sort of a, of a heart attitude that made it so that God couldn't accept his offering. And so God tells him that. He knows. I can't accept this offering from you, Cain. And the scripture says that Cain's face was downcast. He became very angry. See, whatever it was, it was something that was living and growing within Cain. Hatred, jealousy envy, whatever it was, it was growing within Cain, and it didn't just stay inside, right? Because sin never just stays inside. Sin, be sin begins to manifest itself, shows in our attitudes, shows in our actions. So Cain has brought an offering, but he has not done it with the right heart attitude. And so God actually comes and speaks to Cain. This is a really, really big moment. In the biblical story, let's keep reading verse 6 and 7. It says, then Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at your door, just like that blocker was crouching in front of the guy with the ball. I wasn't paying attention. Peter said, yo, 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 be sober-minded, pay attention. Look, the devil, the evil man, he's out to get you like a lion, like sin that's crouching, like ready to take you out. You got to pay attention. And that's exactly what God does to Cain. The fact that God has come and actually talked to Cain tells us that Cain had an opportunity here. All was not lost for Cain at this moment. God, in his grace, in his love, in his care for Cain, is like, yo, man, pay attention. There's something growing inside of you. And you know it. Here, here's the deal. He says, if you, do, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, God says, Cain, you know what the issue is. We both already know what the issue is. Deal with it. You can't just let it go unchecked, man. 
it's going to destroy you, not just destroy you, it's going to destroy those around you as well. God comes in and offers him a warning. Uh, the word there in, in the Hebrew, sin is crouching, that word crouching, it's intended uh, to connect the idea of a lion crouching in wait. Have you ever seen like um, National Geographic, right? When lions kind of go into that like attack mode, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, get down, right, in that crouch. And all of a sudden, it's not that funny. You're like, that was a really, just wait, just wait. They get into that crouch mode, right? But then you see like all the muscles like on their shoulders, they start like rippling in anticipation. Uh, Here's a video. Don't look it up right now, but after the service, you can look it up. One of the most watched videos in YouTube history has almost 90 million views. It's called The Battle at Kruger. And it takes place in South Africa at Kruger National Park. And there's some Americans, you can tell they're Americans by their accent, that are on a safari with a South African guide who is uh, showing them uh, some lions that they have found at a watering hole. Now, this is a big deal because you, uh, if you've ever had the privilege of going to Africa and going on a safari, most of the time you will not see lions. Uh, you're lucky to see uh, a couple uh, of the big five, uh, but lions are, are fairly rare. So they're at a watering hole. There's like six uh, lionesses that are just chilling, literally just kind of laying down in the sand and grass. And that's why they're there, and they're actually filming, because it's a pretty big deal when you actually get to see lions in the wild like that. So they're there filming, and you hear off camera someone say, oh, this could get interesting. And the guy with the camera, he pans across the watering hole. So the lions are over here, water all here, and then on the other side of the watering hole over here are these, this big herd of water buffalo. And these buffalo are just like coming up, right? They have no idea that the lions are there. And the herd is kind of like slowly making its way towards this watering hole. But there's three water buffalo that are a little bit further out in front of the pack. Big old male, a female, and her little baby water buffalo calf. All right? And they start getting further and further away. And the, the male buffalo, along with the female and the little calf, Now they're like probably a good 100, maybe 150 yards ahead of the rest of the herd. And they're not really paying attention, just kind of boom, boom, lumbering around. The lions have noticed. And he pans back to the lions, and all of them now have gone from kind of laying down to they're all up. Like, you can just see them getting readier and readier. And the male buffalo, he comes lumbering up, and all of a sudden he gets about 25 feet away, and he stops. He still can't see them because they don't have great eyesight, but he can sense something's not right. And so he stops, and he paws at the ground, and he sniffs and snorts, and he knows something's there, but he's not sure what. He takes like two more steps and stops, and then he sees the lion's. And he books it. He turns and just starts. And the female, she does as well. They're all trying to get back to the herd. And then you got the little baby. The baby's going. And it can't keep up though. Mom and dad, boom, they are pieced out. They are gone. And the lions have seen it. And the lions go from crouch to 
boom, ha, 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 right? Mayor, take it up, just tons and tons. And the one line as she jumps, whoa, it looks like it's slow motion. It's not slow motion, but it feels like slow motion. And it's like, Freddy Krueger, ah, boom, grabs the back of this little water buffalo, knocks it down the hill into the very edge of the watering hole. She's got it. You can hear the ladies on the camera off screen. Oh, no, they're getting the baby. They're getting the baby. Oh, no. Oh, no. And the, the, the guy's like standing, the guide, he's like, oh, my goodness, I've never seen this before. This is amazing, which my South African accent is kind of like Australian mixed with German. Kind of work with me, okay? Well, I've never seen this before. This is crazy. And they knock it down. It's down halfway in the water. The rest of the lions come around. There's literally four lions that are now clamped on to this little baby. The parents are gone. Half in the water, half out. Four lions on it, two lions around it. And then out of nowhere, wham, a crocodile, not even kidding, swims up, grabs the back of the baby calf's leg. There's two crocodiles there. The guy's like, whoa. Crocodiles, I've never seen this. This is amazing. And they're having a tug of war. Like, I'm not even, you can't make this up. And they're fighting, and the lions are pulling, and the crocodiles are pulling, and the poor little baby cat. And finally, the lions win. They pull it up on shore. There's four lions on the baby calf. It's on the ground, two more there. And the guide says, the lions have won. The lions have won. Which is one of the only times you will hear that phrase on a Sunday in Michigan. So enjoy it right now. <laughs> and that's what the guide says. The lions have won. The lions have won. All because they weren't paying attention. Be sober-minded, Peter says. Pay attention. The evil one is wandering around looking who he may devour. God tells Cain, Cain, sin is it's crouching at your door, man. You got to do something about this. Otherwise, it's going to destroy you. And not just you, but those around you. In the very next verse, even with this warning, Cain decides not to listen to God Almighty, who in his grace and love has come to warn Cain, to help Cain. Cain decides that what is growing inside of him, he gives just full release to. And he calls his brother Abel into a field in the very next verse, and he murders his brother. Now, when, when I'm looking at that, I think to myself, God came and talked to Cain. Oh, I wish he would have done something with that. And this morning, I think that that's, that's God again, right here, right now, in this moment, saying to us, hey, pay attention. Sins crouching at your door. It wants to destroy you. You've got to rule over it. You've got to master. You've got to fight against it. And we're left with the same question that came was, what, am I going to heed that warning? Am I going to do anything with it? 
Uh, Jesus actually said something similar in Matthew chapter 5. You're welcome to flip over there. It will be up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, if you're watching online and you have close access to a spoon, let me be clear. Jesus does not want you to use said spoon to gouge your eye out, okay? He's talking uh, in hyperbole. It's overspeak. Jesus doesn't want anybody to gouge out an eye or cut off a hand. What Jesus is saying is, look, sin is serious. Sin can destroy us. So take it seriously. Whatever you need to do, do it. Don't sit back and wait. Don't hope that it goes away. Get real. Satan, sin, is trying to trip us up, trying to destroy us and devour us. Like a lion crouching at the door. Like, look, we've got to take this serious. Now, uh, for those of us that live this side of Jesus, which is all of us, but not Cain, we have something that Cain didn't have. Uh, Jesus, when he dies on the cross and raises back to life and offers that life to each one of us, actually then does something in our lives when we give ourselves to him. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually talked about this in Romans chapter 6. I want to flip over there. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 17. The Apostle Paul says this, and it's really important that we hear this. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Some of us just need to hear that today. To be set free from sin doesn't mean that you are instantly sinless. Does not mean that you are going to instantly become perfect. What it means is now we have the ability to fight because we have been given the spirit of God to live within us. God wants to fight alongside of us. God wants us to not give up on the fight. God wants to work with us. Um, it does not mean that fighting sin is easy. It just means that it's possible. When I was in college, I uh, had the privilege of working at a camp called Lake End Camp up in Traverse City. <laughs> Someone's been there. And while I was, uh, while I was there, uh, they had a blob uh, out on the water. So uh, blob is this thing you can jump off and blob people off. Well, for their blob, though, they had uh, two diving boards. So you had to swim out to this platform that was out in the water, and they had a low dive that was a springboard. You could actually get some serious uh, um, air off the low dive springboard. And then you could climb up a ladder that was about eight feet uh, tall, so it was almost 10 feet off the water. And that was a huge long springboard that you could get some serious air on. And uh, I had a buddy, uh, his name was Matt. And uh, Matt and I, along with a couple of other folks, we like to try to do dives. In fact, we created the Lake End Camp Diving Team. It was one summer. It really only lived in our heads and our hearts. But uh, for us, it was real. 
And uh, so we would do uh, dives. And I, I still remember how this came about, though. It came about because uh, one afternoon, I think it was like our second weekend at camp, all the campers were home. Uh, it was just the counselors getting to hang out and play around. And Matt went out to the low dive, and we're all just chilling and hanging out. And Matt went out, and he jumped. And then instead of flipping forward, Matt actually jumped, flipped backwards, and then went in the water. It's called a gainer. I had never seen it before. I was like, how did he do that? That's amazing. And the reason that I was so excited about it was because when Matt did this, he jumped, did a gainer, went into the water, came up. All the girls were like, oh, Matt, that was amazing. And I was like, yo, I need to figure out how to get that kind of response from the lady. So I went to Matt. I was like, bro, what did you do? How would you do that, man? That was really cool. So he's like, oh, just throw your knees up. Like, okay. So... I went out, I ran, I jumped, I threw my knees up, and I got up, and then, ah, boom, right onto the water. Ooh, didn't feel great, didn't feel great. I was like, Matt, that didn't work. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, throw your head back, too. Oh, okay. Throw my knees up, throw my head back. So I went out again, jumped, threw my knees up, threw my head back, ah, but I got farther that time. So I was like, all right, I got to get this, I got to get this, because the ladies, you know what I'm saying? Like I got, So I ran out, I jumped. Threw my knees up, threw my head back, tucked, went all the way around, gainer, went into the water, came back up like, yes, and no ladies were watching. So it was kind of a bit of, but I did learn how to do a gainer. Took me three times. I've got sin like that in my life. Gainer sin. First time I try to master it, it doesn't go great, but... Second time, I'm a little better. About the third time, it's like, man, it's just not that big of a deal for me. You do too. I don't know what those sins are for you. I know for me, when I got serious about following Jesus in high school at Flint Northern, I had a really foul mouth. Language I used, the way I talked about people, the way I talked to people. And I realized, man, Jesus, if I'm going to follow you, like if I'm really going to care, then it probably matters how I how I use my mouth. And so I said, Jesus, would you help me? And within probably a week, my language had changed. And today, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, an F-bomb doesn't fly out. Just not that big of a deal for me. That's not true for everybody, but that for me is a gainer sin. And you've got gainer sins in your life too. The first time you try to master it, rule over it, fight against it, like it doesn't go perfect, but Within a week, a month, six months, whatever, it's like, yeah, that's not that big of a deal for me anymore. It's just not something I got to really fight against that hard. A little bit later in the summer, uh, Matt and I were talking one day, and we could both do uh, a gainer off the high dive. We could do uh, a backflip off the high dive. We, we could even do a one and a half off the high dive. And I said to him, I said, dude, I bet we could do a two and a half off the high dive. And Matt was like, yeah, I bet we could. And I was like, yeah, we should try. And he's like, yeah, we should. I was like, bet, you go first. <laughs> and he was dumb enough to say yes. But I did say, if you try it, I'll try it. So Matt said, all right. Matt went up there, strapped down that life jacket, ran up, jumped. Everybody's watching from the, all the counselors are out there to see this. Matt jumps. He tucks one time, two times. But the problem was Matt hadn't jumped up high enough. He jumped out. And so he wasn't going to make enough of a rotation to actually dive in. 
And so Matt is coming not just with the force of gravity, gravity, but also the speed of the flip right at the water, and he's going to hit face first. And instead of hitting face first, he turns his head to the side and hits here. Matt comes up out of the water, and it did not sound good, and Matt comes up screaming. We found out later that night when we went to the nurse's office that he had blown his eardrum. It took him almost three weeks before he could even start to hear things out of that ear. But I had promised him that if he tried, I would try. And in the back of my mind, I've just seen what's happened, but I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but I can do a one and a half just a little bit better than Matt can do a one and a half. So I think I'm going to be able to get this because he was close. So I'm feeling pretty, like, scared but good at the same time. I run up, jump. Oh, I get a good jump. Sky high. I tuck tight. Spin once. Spin twice. I'm like, all right, I got to start to open up now so that I can go into my dive. And as I'm spinning, I begin to open up, and I realize I've opened up way too early. And so instead of doing a wonderful dive right into the water, I wind up doing this coming straight at the water. And I was not smart enough to turn my head to the side. So I just hit the water square on. The water didn't even part. It just laughed at me for a second. Finally, my head goes through. If you're old enough to remember what a tube TV looks like when you turn it off, that's what happened to me. I come up out of the water, and everything just went fuzzy and blurry and went, and I could see like a little sliver of life, and I started to kind of come back to, I doggy paddled back over to the swim dock. The next morning, I woke up, and everybody was looking at me funny because it looked like I had some crazy rash. I had broken all the blood vessels on my face. Gave myself a mild concussion, almost knocked myself out. I've got sin in my life like the two and a half. The first time I tried to, to defeat it, it kicks my butt so hard that I'm just like, man, I don't know if I can ever like, beat that one, do that. And you do too. You've got sin in your life that you know, man, that's the thing that, man, I, I feel like every time I try to defeat it, it just seems to kick my tail. The reason that we have Romans chapter 6 is a reminder that we have been set free. We have the ability to fight because we have a God who wants to fight alongside of us and with us. But friends, it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Um, I'm not worried about the person who's fighting and getting beat up. I'm worried about the person who has decided that the fight is too difficult and has stopped fighting. You want to know why Jesus cares about this? It's because Jesus knows that sin always leads to destruction. Sin always steals life. That's what sin does. And so Jesus wants us to take sin seriously. Not because he is like always looking down on us in judgment, but because he wants life for us. That's what he died for, that we might have life and life to the full. Do you think he doesn't care? Of course he cares, not because he's angry with you, but because he wants you to experience what he gave his life for, what he knows you and I can have. But we have to be willing to fight. We've got to be willing to get back up on the diving board and go for it again. So the guide says, the lions have won. And then off camera, you hear someone say, oh, look, the herd is coming. 
and they pan the camera back over here. And the herd that had started to run when the other two had taken off and saw the lions running, all of a sudden they've regrouped. And them dudes is rolling up deep. They're coming up on the lions, and the lions are starting to get a little freaked a little bit because they got the baby. It's down. Four of them on it, two more sitting around. But now all of a sudden the water buffalo, and these things are big, like big, like muscles on muscles and big old horns. And they come up, and they start to surround the lions. The lions got water at their back, and now they got this big old herd, 200-plus water buffalo that are starting to encircle them. And they come in, and they're snorting, and the lions are going, and one of the water buffalo, big old dude, big old, he comes running in, and he goes, boom, and he puts his horns down, grabs one of the lion, literally throws the lioness up like four or five feet in the air. The lion's like, runs, like, whoa, I'm out of here. She's gone. Another lioness is like, yo, I'm out of here too. There's four left. Another water buffalo runs in, paws at the ground, tries to go at it with the horns. Another one runs off. All of a sudden, you hear one of the ladies say, the baby's still alive. And you see the baby kind of wiggle. And it kind of starts to get up. Three lions left. Another water buffalo runs in and kicks. The lions bust out. The little baby runs into the herd, and the herd surrounds it. The remaining lions are freaking out. They just peel off. Water buffalo, like, running after them. Like, oh, y'all better be running. It's amazing. It's unbelievable, and the guide is like, I've never seen anything like this before. This is amazing. There's a reason that Scripture says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's a reason that it says that we're supposed to confess our sins to one another. James chapter 5. A reason that it says we're supposed to bear each other's burdens and help restore those that are caught in sin, Galatians chapter 6. We're supposed to do this together. Show me a man that has no close friends, and I will show you a man that is trapped in sin. Show me a woman that doesn't have any close friends, and I will show you a woman that feels ensnared by sin. Friends, we're supposed to do this together. That's why Jesus created the church. The church is the herd, and the herd does not give up on its own. We come back for one another, even when everybody else thinks, oh, it's too late. It's too late. No, 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 no. We don't give up. Why? Because Jesus doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on any of us. We need one another. We're supposed to be in this fight together. God has given us his Holy Spirit, and he's given us his body. We're supposed to come alongside and care for one another and say, hey, you want to fight? Man, I'm in it with you. You are not on your own. So let me give you three things as we close today. Three ways that if you want to start to fight, then these are three places to start. Number one, get to church. I know maybe that sounds basic, but let me tell you why. Look, it's Michigan. It's summertime. I get it. I'm going to be on vacation one week this summer as well. But look, way too often we schedule all of our fun stuff first and then we figure out when it's convenient to get to church put church in first I'm not saying you can never miss but if you don't put it in first and make it a priority it's so easy for it to just become this thing that you get to well whenever it becomes convenient here's the problem with that we need that weekly rhythm we need that weekly time to be together with God's family if you come every week you only get one week away 
from God. You can have a whole week where you don't even acknowledge him, where you just get broken down by sin. And at least that one time on Sunday morning, you're going to get here and be like, man, Lord, I need you again. There's a sense of accountability and care that comes. Sometimes we need to sing songs or listen to songs that we don't even know if we believe right now, but we need to hear somebody else sing them and believe them for us. We need prayer, people to pray over us and for us and through us when we need it sometimes. Friends, we need one another. You ever seen a stick in a bonfire? What happens if you take that stick out of the bonfire? It goes out, doesn't it? What happens if you take that stick and put it back in the bonfire? So the church is supposed to be. Second thing, get yourself a training partner and a coach. Get yourself a training partner and a coach. Um, I was a little bit nervous to, to preach this this week. I actually preached the same message at our sending church last week in, in Holland at Central Westland. And I told them the same thing. And the reason why I was a little bit afraid to do it is because uh, not this past week, but the week before, we had our pastor's conference for uh, the Water's Edge network that our church is a part of. So we had Pastor Sandy from uh, Indonesia, from Jakarta. Uh, we had Pastor uh, uh, Pana, who was with us from Cambodia. Omar and Lizan from Kingston, Jamaica, were with us. Our pastors from um, Captivate out in San Diego, from Redeemer down in Tampa. Chris Brown was with us from The Well down in Nashville. We're all together. It's phenomenal. We're hearing stories of how God's working and moving. We're, we're, we're being encouraged together. We're getting training together. Uh, we have early mornings and we have late nights. And so what they do is they put us all up at a hotel, which is great, right? We get to stay up late, chatting with each other and all that. But here's the deal. The reason I got nervous is because uh, when I stay alone in a hotel room by myself, that's when temptation is often at its peak. If you've been at TLC for any amount of time, you know I am not a perfect man. One of the two and a halfs that I fight with is pornography. I have to fight against it and will fight against it for my entire life. And so I was kind of nervous, like, Lord, you're asking me to teach on sin, and I'm afraid with what? I've got coming up that, man, there's going to be some moments, Lord. And, and God said, yeah, that's cool. Thanks for talking to me about it. Now go talk to your, to your trainer, your training partner, your coach. So for me, that's my mentor. His name's Philip. Uh, Philip and I have met almost weekly or every other week for the last 21, almost 22 years now. So I went to Phil and I was like, hey, Phil, hey, I'm going to be staying in a hotel by myself. You know that's a, that's a temptation um, so can you pray for me and can you check in on me? And Philip was like, absolutely, you know I will. And then Philip said to me, though, he said, and what's, what, what's your plan, though, T? What's your plan? You see, he didn't just say, like, all right, I'll pray for you and hope that everything's okay. He's like, no, 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 we've talked about this a lot. you got to have a plan. What's the plan? So he and I talked through it. I said, hey, this is my plan. This is the things I'm thinking. You're part of the plan. That's why I called you. He's like, yeah, I get it. God was gracious in that space. But look, friends, you need a training partner. None of us gets through this life without good training partners, without good coaches. Uh, my wife and I have gone to uh, marriage counselors on uh, numerous occasions throughout our 23 years of marriage. I wish we didn't call them counselors because most guys, the second you hear counselor, like, I don't, like, I'm too strong. I'm like, I don't need that. I'll figure it. Both stinking loney. Look, you ever seen an elite athlete that never had a coach? 
No. In fact, elite athletes often have multiple coaches. Do you want to have a good marriage or do you just want to have like a middling, just okay marriage? You want an okay, you want to be an okay athlete? Don't worry about getting coaching. You want to be a good athlete? Get, get a coach, get multiple coaches. So stop calling them counselors, call it a marriage coach. I get marriage coaching. Why? Because I want to have a great marriage. I want to be as good of a husband as I can. I want to fight against sin. I want to have good ideas, good techniques, good ways to go about it. Do you? Get the church. Get yourself a training partner or a coach. Uh, starting July 10th, we're actually going to be offering something here called Renewed um, for, uh, for guys and for girls, uh, gender-specific, where we're going to actually work through as a Bible study. How do, how do we pay attention to these things, uh, the sexual brokenness that's around us, especially when it comes to pornography? We're not afraid to talk about that stuff here at TLC because we just want to be real. We want to go after it together because we know that that's where life is found when we're willing to take sin and get it out of the darkness and into the light. So the third thing is this. If you really want to start fighting, the most important thing you can do is get to know what Jesus is really like. Way too often we just think like, no, 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 God's like up in heaven and he's so disappointed with me. He's so angry with me. How could he love me? I keep screwing up in the same area. I drive down the road, and I'm impatient every single time. Man, God must be so frustrated with me. Look, all I'm saying is if that's what your view of God is, you don't know him very well. Get to know what Jesus is really like. There's one passage of scripture where Jesus actually shares what his heart is like. It's in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus gets it. He understands. He knows that we're weak. He put on flesh to understand that. He gets us. He says, take my yoke upon you. Link up with me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Those are the two things that he used to describe what his heart is like. Gentle, not angry, not domineering, not wanting to just beat you up. He's gentle and lowly. That means that Jesus doesn't sit up above us. He's down with us. Gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dane Ortland wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. It's all based off of that one passage of scripture. And in it, he says this. He says, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. It brings rest. That is, his yoke is a non-yoke and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life as his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. Listen to this now. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. Friends, that's what Jesus is like. You want to fight sin? Get to know what Jesus is really like. Puritan writer Thomas Goodwin said, Christ is love covered over in flesh. Did you know that Jesus' favorite thing to do is to forgive us? Did you know that? His favorite thing to do. It's why he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's his job for us right now, to intercede on our behalf. He knows what we're like, and he wants life and life to the full for us. It's what he died for. It's what he desires, and that's why he wants to help us fight sin together, to take it seriously, because he knows that sin steals and robs and destroys, but he's come to give us life and life to the full. Father, may it be so. Let us know who you are. 
And God, would you help us in our weakness? Let us be people who are willing to fight. Let us as a church not give up on people that we see that seem to be down and out. Let us rally together in love to help restore those who are caught in sin. God, we know what sin does. It destroys us. Not just us, it destroys the people around us. So let us go after the life that you've called us to. That's what you, that's what you came to offer us. And so, God, let us pursue that, fight for that. Pray it in Jesus' name.